0: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight we have a former commercial airline pilot, and whistleblower on the presence of toxic elements in aviation, generally known as the aerotoxic syndrome. He is also the organizer of the Open Mind Conferences in the Netherlands. As a Dutch citizen, Is very concerned about the direction his country and the enslaved humanity in general are heading for the netherlands like most other european countries is no longer a sovereign country but has been hijacked and occupied by imperialistic forces with a dark agenda all this is facilitated by corrupt puppet governments that are controlled by a psychopathic elite the parasitic influences that control and manipulate humanity by relentless social engineering also known as mind control programs, can only be battled from a higher state of consciousness. And hopefully, his research and tonight's discussion can help raise that collective level of awareness. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabrigas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always love to hear from you. Tonight's special guest is Willem Felderhoff. Willem discusses mind control, natural law, consciousness, sharing information, and uniting. All of this is crucial to this effort. His website is dutchanarchy.com, which is also linked at ours and directly from Den Haag, the Netherlands. Willem Felderhof joins us today. Hello Willem and welcome to Veritas. How are you?
1: Hello Mel. Good morning or good afternoon. Uh, I'm doing good. It's good to be here. Thank you.
0: Likewise. It's very late where you are and I always appreciate those of you in other parts of the world when you join us so late. Willem, I had a chance to watch a few videos. First of all, about your story, I want to give a perspective to the audience first. You were a, a former KLM pilot, and something happened. Why don't you take us from there? Tell us your story, and then we'll dive right into the interview.
1: Okay, that's um, that's good. Well, I always was very much uh, fascinated by aviation from from uh, little actually, from a little boy. I was uh, uh, yeah, I was obsessed with aviation and uh, airplanes always looking at the sky, so when I finally became a pilot, it was, was a dream coming through. Uh, it took a while. First I went in the Army and did the Special Forces Green Berets here in Holland, and then I did also kinds of other work before I started the School of Aviation, that was in 1990, and from there on I could uh, start my, uh, my profession as a pilot, and that uh, continued to 2013 so uh, about 225 years I've uh, been operational as an as an airline pilot commercial airline pilot
0: and what happened that you had to suddenly retire in 2013 well
1: this was a, a long process actually because uh, I started to uh, to get uh, health problems my health started to deteriorate in the when I was flying and it took took me at least seven eight years before I really could could conclude for myself that this was caused by by my profession as a pilot that there was something in in uh, at my work which caused this health deterioration because before that I had all kinds of other causes which might be the be um, um, the cause of this this health problems but uh, there was. When I had excluded like everything, I changed my whole life, my diet, my way of li- uh, life, you know, the stress factors, all kinds of other, um, yeah, uh, things which might have caused this health uh, deterioration. Uh, I excluded. So uh, at a certain point, I come to the conclusion that this, this was caused by my by something at the work, and uh, for myself, I concluded that it had to do with the air because. I could clearly see that, that it was not always the same, you know, the, after certain flights, we would, uh, I had much more problems than on other flights. So it, it was, it differs per airplane per, uh, per stretch. So there was a, uh, it was not a fixed thing, but I was for myself, I was quite sure that it had to do with the error. So, but it, that took like 10 years. And you get, I got diagnosed first because the the problem started with migraine, with headaches. So then you go to the doctor of the of the company, and I got diagnosed in the first time. I got diagnosed with burnout. Of course, this is the this is the diagnose you get when a doctor doesn't know what it is. Often, so then uh, you stop flying. I stopped flying because I, I thought it made sense. I was in a divorce and all kinds of other stressful factors. People were dying here in family and uh, all kinds of things which I thought, well, it makes sense. So I stopped flying for th- like three or six months and then uh, the problems, the symptoms were less. So I thought this is a burnout. But then I went back flying and then the, the problems came back again. So that, that was twice I was diagnosed with burnout. And then I knew that this has, is this has to do with, with something on the on the work floor and, and with the air. So it took about 10 years before I knew that it has to do had to do with the uh, with with the air, but I didn't know anything yet. Um, I was also an instructor, so I saw a lot of uh, other crew crew members on the flight simulator, and I was always asking, "How's your health doing?" And I saw I was not the only one with health problems, um, especially cognitive problems, you know, memory, concentration problems, uh, memory loss these kinds of things, especially these things, kinds of things you don't want to have uh, as a pilot. But um, uh, I finally met a a man who um, said there's something, there's a guy here who uh, is retired and he had something with uh, oxygen poisoning or something like that. So I contacted him. And he said, no, this has to do with, uh, with the exposure of nerve gas components, organophosphates, which are the result of a design fault in the engine. And uh, that is causing this so-called aerotoxic syndrome. So from then on, I started to take air samples and all kinds of uh, machines in the beginning with me when I was flying. And they were all tested positive on this compound of, uh, of organophosphates, tricrystyl, tricrystyl phosphate to be exact. And this is a neurotoxin, so uh, this, this this was causing these neurological problems. So then I started, uh, I became in 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 a sort of battle with uh, with this airline, because they said, well, this is not not because of that. So then the battle started, and that took also about uh, two to three years, which finally uh, resulted in a lawsuit. And. Uh, yeah. So and then in 2013, 14, I had to stop at a certain point because I was, I was, I was literally dying. I mean, I was in intensive care unit in and out. It was very, it was like a sort of movie. But um, so I had to stop with this.
0: I but, saw um, I saw your videos and you were doing a video diary every time you would land somewhere. You would report how you felt, and you were obviously very emotional because flying was your life. And for anybody, I, I wasn't a commercial pilot, but I used to fly before, and I know the, you know how you feel about flying, especially if it's your career. And because of this, you had to stop your passion. How did you feel about that?
1: Well, that was, uh, I mean, that that's very sad as well. The but it was more my health. I mean, to to, to have neuro neurological. Um, deterioration due to exposure of nerve gas is pretty pretty bad it's it's not a nice thing I mean this is a chemical chemical warfare agent it destroys nerve system so my nervous system was quite damaged um, and some people are more sensitive than other people uh, uh, f- because we all have a different constitution and I have certain enzyme mutations. So because of that, I've, I've bad able to detoxify of these organophosphates especially. So it builds up in the system. So in my case, I'm in this category of so-called bad detoxifiers. This is a group of three to five percent of the population. So that there's a lot of people. Um, so it's, it, it's and I was taking this video diary because I thought, well, if I die, because this was during this uh, this battle when they put me back in the aircraft uh, every time because they said they stopped my salary. So they said, no, uh, you're going to fly. And it's not because of this. And if you don't fly, you don't get a salary. So uh, they put me back in the aircraft, uh, do, flying again, but I was in such a bad shape. So being exposed again, uh, was pretty serious. So I thought I'd take a diary, video diary. And if, if, if I die, you can send this to the uh, to the press or they can release this. And then this is quite an evidence. It was this documentary was quite, quite recently uh, broadcasted that this video diary was a very small um, piece of the whole thing, actually. But um, you see my health deteriorating there, actually, in this in this short period. You see what's happening before and after the during and after the flight. So it's, it was pretty strong evidence, powerful evidence, because you see something, you see somebody breaking and I, I mean, this is what happens with a lot of people, of course, in, in corporations which uh, which uh, have these kinds of practices, but you don't see that, of course. So it that, that was, that was quite powerful to see somebody breaking in that sense.
0: What is Aerotoxic Syndrome and what is your involvement in bringing this topic out to the mainstream?
1: well my case was uh, sort of unique in the sense that I had a very good document. documented so I had I had built up a, a whole do- a medical dossier um, with all this evidence and uh, also all my results of the air samples blood samples uh, they all tested positive on the presence of TCP this, this trichreial phosphate which shouldn't be there it's a, it's 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 forbidden it's uh, uh, it shouldn't be there in, in the cabin. So people are breathing it, breathing this in, this, uh, this nerve gas, it, it, this is nerve gas. It's an organophosphate. It's ridiculous that we're talking about it. But um, then the industry at a certain point couldn't uh, ignore or just say deny that it, the presence of it because all this evidence came in. So then they said at a certain point, they said, well, it's there, but it's in such a low doses that it's, it's not harmful. Yeah. You know? So um, yeah. So and then this lawsuit came, was there. But uh, most people they don't have a file. They don't. You know, at a certain point, I had to go to this doctor of the of this this corporation and say, well, I think I'm being uh, my health problems are caused by this, and I have this evidence. And then they have to put it in your file. But most people don't even do that because they're afraid to speak. Uh, because then suddenly you're. You're against this uh, this corporation, so they don't speak out about it. So in that sense, it was a quite unique case. But there are there are more cases about it. Uh, there was also a lawsuit of the cabin union in Australia, who won a case against the uh, the industry because of this. So that there are cases, but not much. And now it's even more difficult because the the, the airlines have sort of um, bundled the forces. Oh, merged I, everywhere. I, I, yeah, exactly. So you you, you are up against uh, these top lawyers. Uh, you don't have money. You're completely sick. Your, your health uh, is bad. So you, it's, it's very difficult as as a, uh, a single person to fight this industry.
0: Yeah, when uh, I see these mergers, Willem... I always wonder, what's going to happen with competition? What's going to happen with affordability? But we'll talk about affordability later when it comes to these these budget airlines because we also want to talk about chemtrails later because I've always wondered, how are these airlines making money going from one place to the other for $99 unless somebody is paying them to deliver something while they're flying? But I just wanted to plant that seed because we're going to discuss that later. But when I watched the Dutch report where you're featured, when the reporter asked what actually happened with KLM, you said you didn't want to talk about it. Did you get a, and I understand if you don't want to talk about it, did you get a disability pension with a confidentiality or non-disclosure agreement?
1: Yeah, that was was, uh, part of it. But uh, they say you become sick flying, so I have a sort of medical pension. Um, and we stopped the whole thing and uh, but yeah, there was this non-disclosure uh, agreement, which was in this documentary. And uh, that's why I said no, I, I cannot say anything about this. But uh, I mean, the whole thing spoke for itself, of course, the whole documentary. Uh, and then the second part was on the international aspects of it with these pilots in EasyJet and so right. this, uh, much more so. But yeah, that was because of that.
0: Having a relative high up in the airline industry, I suspect you were, quote unquote, taking care of. Uh, But of course, you need to stay silent. But as you said, the documentary spoke for itself. The answer is right there. You don't have to utter the words. Now, if pilots are suffering the health consequences of toxic uh, oil fumes, shouldn't the public know since they're also suffering, perhaps not to the same extent, since most people don't fly on a daily basis like you know pilots do, so their exposure... To this is much higher.
1: That's true. That's true. And uh, the health problems—that that's a big taboo in aviation. It's not giving public as well. The 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 figures, exact figures, are not uh, made public of uh, of the health uh, health issues in in aviation. And that's not for nothing, because a lot of people are having health problems who are in aviation, and also passengers who fly a lot. There are also, uh, I mean, this, this group of bad detoxifiers who uh, who are really having difficulties to detoxify of this this uh, these, these organophosphates. And again, these are these are nerve gases components. These are chemical warfare agents we are being exposed to uh, in unknown amounts. So this, this, the whole thing is, is of course, is insane. But. Um, then you have another group of 30%, so 30% of people, so-called medium detoxifiers. These are people who are getting serious health problems after 10 to 15 years of flying, roughly speaking. That's the average. So this is a, that's a huge group of people uh, and passengers because there are also so- so-called fume events and that these are events when there's a technical problem. An engine failure or certain technical failures, when there is a huge exposure of these fumes. And this is, then is then you speak about a fume event. Then you see fumes in the cabin, and then uh, there is a huge release of these organophosphates. And then these after such a flight, uh, where sometimes uh, the whole uh, crew, cabin crew and cockpit crew didn't do any flight after that. Um, ever because they were so sick and their health was so uh, affected that they couldn't fly anymore after this such fume event but the passengers all go home and they are not informed so they don't they, they don't know anything about this so uh, this this is a huge thing this is this, this is um, um uh, yeah it's a very big problem in aviation and more and more people are having more and more problems with flying because of our toxic uh, um, assault nowadays, this multi-directional toxic assault. Besides the, uh, this exposure to these nerve gas components, there are a lot of other uh, toxic exposure we are having today. So more and more people are having problems with, with flying.
0: And for those who don't know folks, all the air on a plane comes from the compressor of the turbojet engine outside and by definition, that air is contaminated with low level oil fumes. Plain oil contains substances that are harmful even in low concentrations. Isn't this like playing Russian roulette, Willem? It is, yeah, it is. Because
1: you, you never know how much exposure you, you can expect. So that I had at a certain point, I said, okay, I'm not going to fly anymore. Because I want to know how much exposure I can expect because I have a DNA uh, analyze, which clearly says that I'm more sensitive and I have problems with detoxifying of this organophosphate. So I want to know how much exposure I can expect when I go to work. But of course, they don't do that because they don't uh, they don't take um, uh, measures. You know, they, do, they don't record it or they they have an, uh, an indicator how much uh, of these organophosphates are in the cabin. So you don't know it. So it is a sort of Russian roulette, indeed. And uh, in in the aviation, in the airline I was flying, we knew certain airplanes with certain registrations were so-called bad uh, bad planes with bad air they all said oh we have to fly with this air but this is a bad one you know when everybody has headaches or dizziness or f- people fainting then you know okay this is this is one with with bad air but we mostly people saying well there is uh, less oxygen or the, the air is dry but they don't uh, relate this to the the presence of organophosphates or nerve gas components in the in the in the cabin. So, yeah, it is a a sort of Russian roulette in that sense, because you you don't know. And another thing is that these toxins, because organic, these phosphate is one compound. But if you heat it, so the the air is heated to like 600 degrees centigrade. And then uh, it gets all kinds of different properties because then it's uh, it's sort of divides in in, in, um, isomers and other toxic components which then react on each other and even, even um, amplify the, the toxicity, but that's taken, not even taken into account. So there, are, there were some uh, analyses of the air in the cabin which, uh, which showed that there were over 100 to 150 different carcinogenic and neurotoxic uh, compounds present and they, they react on, on each other as well. They have it, uh, sometimes a, a synergy, toxic synergy, which makes it even more toxic, but that is even not taken into account. All these toxic components are analyzed uh, individually, same as in food. If you have in food these chemicals like this, uh, you know, the for colors and taste, they are taken uh, for, as, as their toxicity, they're analyzed individually, not how they react on each other. So this is also, this is also an, uh, an aspect which uh, which is very relevant and important.
0: This is very important to me because, like you, I also cannot metabolize certain things like aspartame, uh, MSG, monosodium glutamate. I almost died about these, and I had to diagnose myself at the time because no doctor could find any problem. They just wanted to give me medicine, and I probably would have died, or I probably would have contracted uh, multiple sclerosis. So. You know, it's, it's very important to discuss this, the reduction of cognitive functioning, which happened to me, happened to you. Imagine, folks, if you're driving a car and you have all these toxins in your body that you cannot get rid of, this is cumulative. And if all of a sudden you have to step on the brake, but all of a sudden your brain doesn't give you the signal rapidly, it may take you 10 seconds before you hit that brake. What happens to a pilot or pilots who are flying a plane and they cannot react quickly, quickly? You know, to maneuver the plane, this could cost hundreds of lives,
1: yes, it is a very uh, serious uh, aspect which should be taken into account. There should be no uh, nerve gas components zero. I mean, it's ridiculous that that people who work there and who are so-called concerned about concerned about flight safety that they uh, say, well, we uh, we adhere to the norm, this international norm, you know that it's 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 a norm, which is completely uh, uh, not applicable. It shouldn't be there at all, zero. (laughs) We shouldn't be exposed to nerve gases, especially not in a cabin or in an airplane where complex cognitive processes should uh, secure uh, a safe flight. Uh, So that that by itself is ridiculous. Um, But yeah, I mean, these people work in this so-called cult structure, so they don't speak out because if they speak out, then they lose their job.
0: Before the interview, I sent you some photographs of a good friend of mine, uh, Lisa, a female commercial pilot who almost died with a chronic uh, case of uh, headaches, fatigue, nausea for days and sometimes weeks, and after flying for so many years, imagine the amount of toxicity the body would accumulate to get to that point. She finally found a Dr. Harrison from the University of San Francisco who was able to to diagnose her, and she was able to de- detoxify herself, and she's now doing something else as she found healing of of all things with sound. In fact, I'll give a, a courtesy plug here. Check out Lisa's website, folks, at Gangster, like gongs, Gangster.com, and she's just thriving with that and helping other people. Did you find that after your, quote-unquote, retirement, you were able to focus on other things that are helping humanity, Willem?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I did a lot of healing work for myself, uh, also in the New Age uh, uh, section, because I, I had way back when I was younger also uh, other kinds of things which, which, uh, which caused me to look for alternative healing methods because I couldn't find any solutions in the in the, in the mainstream uh, um, medical circuit or how do you want to call it. So yes. Uh, and, and from there, I started to 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 become more aware of the, of detoxing and these kinds of aspects and helping other people with this, because you can do something about it if you know what the problem is, then you can do something about it. So, um, and during this time, I, uh, you know, it is, when I was became in this battle, I became also aware of other aspects because this was also in 2001, of course, with the uh, the 9/11 uh, attacks. That uh, there were more things happening in this world. Uh, so then I started to become more aware of this as well because uh, when 9-11 was I was then an instructor and I was flying in the northeast sector twice a month at least uh, training new pilots so I was, I was also flying in in the simulator writing programs hijacking protocols so I was quite aware of these uh, emergency uh, procedures so when 9-11 happened then the whole other thing opened of course so from there uh, other activists um, Activism started.
0: And you know, then conveniently, again, as I was watching the documentary, airlines have their own health services department. In this case, KLM Health Services, they conveniently found no link between your symptoms and the air quality inside the aircraft. Isn't this, and this happened also with the other airlines, I remember the the health spokesperson for the other, was it EasyJet or the other airline, where they confirmed they were putting uh, filters, but not because of this situation, but to mitigate, quote-unquote, odors.
1: <laughs> yes, it was easy jet. Easy jet was that uh, where people were at lawsuits uh, against the, this, this airline.
0: Isn't this the, the case end. of the fox guarding the hen, the hen house when you have health services from a an airline deliberating about the case?
1: It is, and uh, I mean, this is. It served also as a sort of microcosm uh, to what's happening in other parts of the world. I mean, it's same with FDA, the FDA, and it's, uh, you know, this um, right. Uh, Rot, what do you call it? The Rotating doors for people in the politics, revolving door, basically. yes, revolving door politics, and they do their own checks. I mean, the pharmaceutical industry does its, its own research. Well, it, it, that is of course ridiculous. And having your own doctors, that uh, yeah, it, 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 it makes it completely um, unreliable, of course. And then you have the courts, the court, the law, the courtrooms, who are also part of the uh, the corporate structure. So it, yeah, it's 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 a very difficult, uh, but at the same time, it's very blatant. It's it's um, it doesn't make any sense. So. Um, but it, it, as an individual, it's very difficult to do something about it. And mo- now, and most people are afraid. Uh, that's that's also a thing. People are really afraid to take action and to uh, step out of that fear and to uh, to do something. Because that, that, that you have to take action, of course. I saw a lot because you can do some things about it. But uh, I, I've seen. How deep that fear is, and also experienced myself, because at a certain point I had, I was suddenly out of this cult structure, and had to say, listen, I'm becoming sick of this. Uh, this is the problem. I have evidence, and then suddenly you're outside, and then, then you're danger. And, you, and then to to go through that process, that's is uh, you, you got confronted with 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 fear. And uh, for a lot of people, is that the big big step. To, uh, to to take even a little bit of action to have a DNA analyze analyze for instance you can take a DNA, DNA analyze and then you know if you're a bad detoxifier or not but that is all was already sometimes for some people too much because they immediately think well my whole life I have a mortgage and my whole work and my social life is based on this job <laughs> so uh, that falls apart
0: and hey, look I understand that this is how you were able to survive back then this is your profession this was your passion you like to fly and all of a sudden you're in a situation where if you continue flying you would die so you have to choose not fly anymore
1: yeah yeah and i i mean i don't go as a passenger as well because now you have uh the, the toxic, uh, I mean, you have this new Boeing and eh, the Dreamliner, the 787 has, has another air conditioning system where the air comes from the outside and it's not uh, bleed off the engine. So in that sense, you don't have this exposure to this nerve gas components. This, and that, I, I did it, I tried it and it's it's true. It, it is different. But now you have the uh, the element of, uh, the, of the whole geoengineering, so it's, it's now twofold with the toxic uh, assault.
0: Uh, and this is why we're going to be transitioning into geoengineering engineering soon but i think of two people you and also the the flight attendant for KLM who was completely fit healthy she worked out and she was suffering more or less the same symptoms as you and she was she went to her to the airline and said switch me to the dreamliner and they said no couldn't you do the same thing perhaps you know gain more certification so you could fly a dreamliner
1: yeah, but they they don't uh, they didn't want to go there because then they uh, acknowledge it that, that there is a problem. Uh. Then, they set the, then they set a precedent. If you if they say well okay you fly Dreamliner then they admit that there is something wrong or they, they admit your problem. They 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 still deny it. They say it's it's not because of this. So and if they do that then they uh, they they would. Uh, they would um, admit it in a way.
0: I see. So basically they were saying that this is just a psychological problem. Did any government uh, authority find any causal link between the symptoms and the job? Did they ever acknowledge the problem as an occupational illness? Uh,
1: No, uh, not really. I mean, at a certain point because of the lawsuit, then uh, parliament had to, uh, there were questions in parliament, in the government then a lot of people say, well, that's good, then then the politics are involved. Well, that's not because they're part of the problem. Uh, So then they're going to say, well, we have to do more research and we have to do this this with all airlines together. This is not one airline. We all have the same problem. And then, uh, you know, and then suddenly this this secretary of the um, what do you call it of uh, transport became the uh, prime of the president of KLM, you know, these kinds of things. So the, the politics is 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 part of the problem. So that didn't uh, change anything,
0: actually. So you have revolving doors there in the Netherlands too, don't you?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, it's it's it is it's so in your face. The you Dutch uh, Secretary of Finance is now the 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 president of the 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 bank, the big the Dutch National Bank for the past years.
0: So for anybody... He's
1: not the only one. There's a lot of... uh, this. It's in our face.
0: So it's a corporatocracy. That's what we have going on right now around the world, folks. So this is a good switch into chemtrails now, because during that time when you were flying, and I think chemtrails were, in my opinion, they started to become noticeable in the late 1990s. You were flying around that time. Did you remember a time before and after chemtrails?
1: uh well I remember time before I was aware of it and uh after i became aware of it uh i i mean i, I mean the last let's say last ten years it's it's really uh it, it really um, uh how do you call it um apparent in your face everywhere yeah uh, but it it was really full on, really full spectrum, full on, and especially after the deregulation and eh, the deregulation of aviation, which is clearly uh, uh, very much um, related to geoengineering, that uh, that it really started. So that that's the that that's w- what you say. That is about uh, 2000, 2000, 2001, 9/11. This this time that that was also the period when uh, when they really started to. Uh, to implement it, to 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 impl- apply it f- f- worldwide, full spectrum. So it's like 15 15 years.
0: I remember I... the week of 9 11. I was probably one of the first flights I was able to leave the United States, where my wife and I were going on vacation to Europe, and I flew throughout Europe. I never saw clear skies at the time in the United States and there perhaps because of this whole 9-11 grounding of the planes issue
1: you didn't see clear skies no I did I did for the yeah, f- yeah, first yeah, time yeah, in yeah. years
0: the skies yeah. were the blue that I remember before
1: yeah yeah I mean th- 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 there was four days huh? that was now flying uh, uh, when nine eleven 11 happened the, the attacks and then uh the temperature also uh, decreased like four, four degrees or something like that, four degrees centigrade, uh, because there was no flying. So there was no, there was not this, this haze, this blanket was not there. That's true. That was the case.
0: So I remember almost 10 years ago when I started discussing chemtrails uh, publicly with the late A.G. Griffith here in the United States, uh, it, and he started mentioning Project Cloverleaf. What do you know about Project Cloverleaf, and if you know about it, has it evolved into something else today?
1: Well, I think it's a still it's a still sort of going on. I mean, it's now um, uh, these projects. I mean, weather modification, geoengineering programs. Of course, are now going on for like 100 years. or so what in the Second World War, they were experimenting, uh, and in all these wars, of course, they're experimenting uh, with with these kinds of things. But um, that it, it is now, so I think it's an ongoing thing, it's an ongoing uh, pr- project, but um, they're refining it constantly. That, 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 but it's, it's fully operational and techn- technology is, is evolving so fast that uh, we don't even know what, the, what, what they all have and implementing, but it's now uh, fully operational and, uh, and ongoing.
0: Are they piggybacking, and you you know that term, right? Are they piggybacking on planes these days, commercial airliners, where the pilot doesn't even know that its own plane is spraying these chemicals?
1: Yes, uh, because in in commercial aviation,s of co- commercial aviation, pilots don't know it. I don't. I was also uh, involved in it because I and I was not uh, aware of it. So commercial pilots are not aware of this most of them I mean nowadays probably a lot of pilots are aware of it but they don't speak out about it so they they they, they are aware of this some some of them but um, back then like I was also not aware of this it was not in my uh, you know in my field of awareness somebody asked me that was in 2006 something like that what what do you think about this chem trading uh, Aspect so I said well, I I don't know I don't I don't think so that it's possible, but I will look into it So I thought but I didn't do really the research What I what I learned to do later on, but uh, back then I thought it's not possible. This is technically not possible But of course when I did research after it I became very much aware that this was possible and it was happening But you don't learn anything about control uh, forming dynamics when you are at the School of Aviation, you learn how to school, how to fly an aircraft. That's right. But, um, yeah, so you don't see it if you don't, if you're not aware of it. But nowadays, it's really difficult not to see it, of course. But then you go, come to the psychological causal factors below, behind this. What, what is causing the fact that we don't see this? So, um, I, I had a reunion of pilots like uh, a year ago at the school of aviation and we we were cycling through the area and it was really ridiculous what was happening in the sky. So I said, Hey, listen guys, these were all very experienced pilots, captains, ten thousand hours plus so I pointed to the sky, said, listen, you guys uh, know how, I mean, we studied meteorology in School of Aviation. So it's your job to analyze the sky. You're, you're watching the sky for thousands of hours and you have to anticipate and plan your flight based on cloud dynamics, cloud formation. Uh, so you know that what you're seeing here is completely unnatural. So and then they were looking at the sky and, and they, well, they, they didn't see it and then a few weeks later I got an email of one of these guys and he said well listen William back then you pointed at the sky I didn't see it but I started to take a point of, of uh, starting to um, pay attention on this and look into it and uh, I was quite shocked my world fell apart and uh, but now I know it so then he knew it it took some time for the mind to open up or uh, that this might be possible but uh it, it, nowadays it's you don't see hardly see any any natural skies or blue sky you don't see it anymore so it's it's even more uh, fascinating to see that people just don't see this
0: i'm told here in the united states i don't know if this applies in europe but there are certain things that pilots are not supposed to talk about one what crashed at the pentagon two chemtrails and three don't say that you saw a uFO those are three things that you're not supposed to talk about because it would make you look crazy, and the perception of the population would be, "Hey, let's not fly that airline."
1: Yeah, it might be possible. There's not a written thing of something like that, but this is, of course, not only for pilots. But I mean, I in my career, I had twice uh, seen, seen UFO. Uh, uh, and, and reported it once one of the two times i reported it to uh, air traffic control so it's this is a quite uh familiar phenomenon if you if you see an, an unidentified flying object that you report if if you really cannot identify it but it's more that people don't speak about it because they are afraid of Falling out of that group or being seen seen as a madman, not written down. You don't need to write it down because people, by itself, by their psychological uh, uh, construct, or are not speaking out because they're afraid
0: to fall out of the group, and that's. I think that's the reason why they don't speak out. So you saw a UFO more than once. What happens to that information once you? Call traffic, traffic control and say, "Hey, I'm looking at a buggy here, or or a, or a UFO." What happens with that information?
1: Well, they just record it. They they record it. They uh, they then record the time when you have reported it, and then they write it down and it goes somewhere. And they, I don't know, maybe they pass it on to military uh, station somewhere there in the area. It was this once was it was twice over the Atlantic Ocean. So maybe they pass it on. I don't know what to do with it. Uh,
0: that, that, that's then in other hands. So when you were flying at the time, did you know, did you, when, when you were at home and you looked up at the sky, you, you knew these are not condensation trails. These are some other kind of trails. Did you know this when you were flying or did you learn about chemtrails after you stopped flying?
1: Uh, no, no, it was during, during the time when I was flying, yeah, but I was so deep in this aerotoxic uh, battle that, uh, that I, I, I was only focused on that in a way because, uh, so but I, I was aware of it, uh, when I was flying still, yeah, that I then I, that I started looking differently uh, at the skies, and then I, yeah, I realized that this was also a reality which was going on.
0: Do these planes fly above? the 30 some thousand feet regular average altitude that most commercial airlines fly or do they do it below you
1: no because this this was back then already was was this uh part of commercial aviation these persistent contrails uh were caused by commercial aviation so i didn't see the the, the the really separate military spraying these these flights i didn't see that really But I saw uh, commercial aviation with these huge persistent controls, which you don't uh, label as chemtrails back then or thought that there was something wrong with it. But this this is commercial aviation back then already, which was uh, causing this.
0: It's interesting that some people have written to me, they have these devices that when a plane is flying above you, Above your house, for example, you are in, you're in the backyard, and you see the plane. You can see on your little device what airline, what flight number, the 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 the, the, air, the, the, uh, air, the aircraft number, the serial number. But sometimes when there are these planes that you can actually see, you can't even see them. They're almost white. It, they don't identify. There's no pinging coming from the transponder. Have you heard that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've heard it. I'm not sure about what to think about it, but there is a lot of military traffic, of course, going uh, it also f- is also flying overhead, uh, and it's now free flight, so you don't have these airways anymore since the uh, that's also since the 90s. It's also that was very. Um, uh, at the same time, when the deregulation was of aviation, the, the free flight was also implemented. So you could fly from A to B direct. You didn't need to fly through these air, air, uh, so-called airways anymore. So that, that made it also uh, that it covered the whole planet in a way that because of this free flight concept. So there's a lot of military traffic flying also around without uh, transponder codes. And because of that, you don't see them on the, on the, on the screen, but, um, you have different kind of flight rate at 24, you have, you have you have different apps or I don't know if they sometimes cover all the planes. Maybe they miss some planes because of software or, uh, I don't know about that, but, um, there's definitely military traffic flying through this um, massive amounts of planes as well. So uh, and they might not be on the uh, on the, visible on these screens.
0: We'll talk about the commercial airliners that chemtrail as well. But let's just pick on the military or whomever they might be. You know more than anyone else that it costs thousands of hour of of, of dollars to fly a plane per hour. If these planes, the ones that are not the commercial airliners, the ones that are just flying to spray, these are hundreds of planes at any given moment. I see it on my Facebook feed, people reporting it all over the United States, Canada, Europe, you name it. Where is that money coming from? And what do you think the purpose of Kentrails is?
1: Um well, the money goes. Of course, this this is it is a military operation. I think they started first. They started only military with testing during wars uh, as a military operation. But co- the commercial aviation is part of the military. And often people forget that because uh, they think this is commercial traffic that these these two two uh, are separated. But the, the commercial aviation is part is part of the military. Boeing, Airbus. Uh, British Aerospace, these are military contractors and commercial aviation is just a small part of their uh, financial uh, income. So they are part of the military. So the technology which is used in uh, in commercial aviation is also military general electric, electric which is uh, one of the engine uh, manufacturers is a huge military contractor. So uh, they the, these engines. They first started this as a military operations, you know, it's a different projects, Operation Cumulus or Operation Popeye, you know, in Vietnam War where they were cloud seeding for years to, for, to 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 extend these monsoon rains and for weather manip- manipulation. Um, so then it was only military, and then they started to use it refine it and do, doing testing in the military only in these wars of course or in in, in also in peacetime with uh, with the training but then they uh, implemented in in commercial aviation because it's it it is a part of the fuel because the centralization of the fuel distribution distribution uh took also part during this whole uh past 20 years so now the, the, the commercial aviation is using the same fuel as the military GP8 fuel. And uh, these particulates, uh, they are uh, additives in the fuel, and these are classified because the, the additives in GP8 fuel is classified because it's military. So they can use this, all, all this technology, they can, they can say, well, it's classified because it's military. Um, so I think they first did it uh, only in, on a military scale with military aircraft and after refining and testing and having the, this fuel centralized and also applied for commercial aviation they yeah it's now mainly commercial i think but you know for for uh, certain operations uh they, they need for, for for instance the the, the uh, yeah, the, the, to, to keep the atmosphere filled with this particulates, they use the uh, commercial aviation non-stop. But for certain specific operations like hurricane manipulation or these kinds of uh, weather war techniques, then they use extra military plane for extra seeding and and spraying. which you saw with this hurricane Irma clearly happening. Uh, so it's it's both, of course, and financially, yeah, they have. Uh, I mean, the United States has 21 trillion uh, debt or something like that, so it's not they, can, they have money enough, uh,
0: clearly. They don't have money, but they can print money. I didn't expect that you were going to talk about the, the weather manipulation when it comes to hurricanes, but we'll discuss that. I definitely have a, a bone to pick about this. Uh, ever since Katrina, I, I saw radar... Uh, of the waters on the air, in the area where they've been heated in advance. And the Hurricane Katrina was following it all the way to New Orleans. And we can go to Hurricane Irma. We can go to the hurricane that uh, hit Puerto Rico too. But when it comes to the commercial airliners, just because they have such a big grid on a daily basis, we have thousands of planes flying at any given moment. So, of course, you're going to leverage that opportunity if you want to use the the cargo. Well, how come we haven't seen pilots, even anonymously, or cargo crew of the airlines, the people who load the luggage? If you have these uh, chemicals, they must be stored somewhere that it could be visible for the crews to see. Have they seen it?
1: Well... There are reports of this this extra equipment, extra tanks. Huh? Uh, there was some uh, at some moment there was uh, rumors or that a theory that these were extra uh, units which were located in the pylons uh, on, on in the wing. But the technology is so advanced that you don't need extra uh, equipment. It's embedded in the fuel. These things, and you have now uh, certain processes. The combustion process itself in this jet jet engines, so-called spray pyrolysis, which uh, causes as byproduct because of the the, the, the combustion and this process uh, causes as a byproduct aluminium or barium. So you don't need to add uh, special tanks or units with this uh, with this with this um, particulates and if you have s- uh, certain tanks or extra equipment then you, you you don't need very big equipment because these are nano particulates so you don't you, you have not much you don't need much to uh, to take with you but um, I mean there are gag orders in the military there are gag orders about this or uh, to speak about this, this these programs I understand so People are afraid to speak out if they are aware of it, but there are also some um, reports of people speaking out about it. In Germany, there was a guy who was loading this this uh, this stuff on on the planes, and he spoke about uh, out about it. That you can see that on YouTube where he does that. So there are, there are some people speaking out, but the media, of course, is completely controlled, so you don't see it.
0: Well, there are many elements that are being sprayed, and three of them there's proof of the water samples. Aluminum causes Alzheimer's and dementia. Barium reduces potassium levels and causes heart disease. And strontium causes cancer. The three together. Geoengineering. They're saying that if they're admitting, they're admitting that they're trying to help with global, quote unquote, global warming or now better known as climate change. Do you buy that? That this is climate change and they're doing it in a very covert way because they cannot admit it? Because here in the United States, they cannot spray anything above our heads with our consent, without our consent.
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, they slowly now uh, are bringing this as a solution, of course, for this other so-called global warming problem. So the official narrative now becomes that they are thinking about it and planning about it and that they are going to implement this uh, as, a, so, as a maybe a solution for global warming, or solution, and then in, in any case to slow down this global warming process, in order to spray the atmosphere with these reflective particulates, so that uh, less sunlight is then uh, reaching the Earth. That's they, they bring it, but since it is a military operation, they can also because it's completely illegal. That's, that's true what you say, but it's military, so it's classified, so it's, it's it falls. There is still no regulation for aviation, also not in the climate, uh, uh, the climate uh, summit. Then uh, aviation was excluded from, from this whole uh, CO2 carbon tax uh, thing. Well, that's not for nothing that, that the aviation is still excluded because of this, of course. But it is completely illegal that they're doing this and a lot of other things, of course. That everything is done with, without our consent. So, yeah, it, it, it is illegal. But the court courtrooms are part of the problem as well.
0: <laughs> well, they're part of the problem, of course. And I mentioned to you how it costs thousands of, of dollars per hour for, to fly in, in these planes. I spend time in, in Mexico every year uh, at a beach down there. And as everybody knows, Mexico is a poor country. Uh, when it comes to having all this technology and flying these planes, it would be cost prohibitive for their government to do that. So I'm sitting down on I've said this story a few times but it's it's good to 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 refresh people's memory. I sit down on the beach when there's nobody there and I see this plane coming. Not spraying yet. The moment it reaches the town, it starts spraying. It goes all the way to the extreme and it stops spraying. And then it comes back until it blankets the entire sky. So I decided one day to call the Mexican Air Force. And I spoke to a high uh, uh, you know, an, an officer of the air force and I asked him, "Who are these planes? They're flying in your in your sovereign, quote unquote, sovereign airspace." And their answer was, "They're not ours," and I cannot comment any further. That's what I was told, Willem. What's your opinion on that?
1: So he said, "Also, I cannot uh,
0: comment on that." I cannot comment, but they're not ours. Yeah. So who are they? Is this NATO? Might be.
1: Might be. I mean, there are a lot of uh, programs. Just these, po- the politicians and these officials, they don't know what's going on. I mean, here it's the same. We, we, we I went to the, to these politicians a few months ago. I was asked to go with a group of this geoengineering, stop geoengineering activist group to go to these politicians in in parliament, to uh, offer them a petition about this. So I, I went with them, and it was, because I was, it was fascinating to see these politicians by itself, these robots literally, to see where they are yeah. with their awareness, because I, it, I couldn't uh, it, uh, come into per, in, in this parliament building for the last years. I tried uh, sometimes just to go, to go there, but it didn't work. So now I could uh, uh, see that and experience that, how, where they were. Well, these people are completely disconnected from reality completely they, they don't have a clue what's going on they literally were robots we were t- giving this petition so i said as a, p- as a former pilot so that, that they are more willing to listen a little bit in a way how ridiculous that might sound but uh, they didn't have a clue actually what's what's going they're completely somewhere else they, they're literally
0: robots i've been connecting a lot of dots lately with people like you that come on the show and i have a few not conclusions, but a few theories that I'd like to discuss with you to see what you think. But we have to take a break. And when we come back, so much more to discuss with Willem Felderhof. Willem, how can people learn more about your work? You have a website. What's your website again?
1: Uh, the website, my website is uh, www.dutchanarchy.com.
0: And there's a lot of stuff there and I enjoyed Looking throughout the website, we'll discuss a few things that you have listed there. There's no censorship on his website, and there's no censorship here, so you don't want to miss part two. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, Miracle Mineral Solution, Pure Organic Sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.